0: Shotgun Dalvin Cook to his left. Third and goal from the four. Kirk takes the snap. Looks right. Fade left. End zone. And it is caught. Touchdown! Amazing decision by Kirk Cousins. He saw the all-out blitz. He knew he had Rudolph one-on-one with the corner. Rudy! And just threw the jump ball. Oh. What a beautiful throw. Bonjour, San Francisco, and au revoir, New Orleans Saints. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 23 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast, a wild card winning edition. Of the Minnesota Vikings podcast, big boy win in New Orleans. I'm in studio with Chris Corso from TheVikings.com. He produces to the left of him Jay Nelson. And we have a victory to talk about and a divisional round game to look forward to. I I want we have to start on the win. I like I know I'm always coming at things from a fan perspective, but if you'd have polled, like I just I was asking and talking to people, if you'd have polled Viking fans going into this game family feud style guess what I can tell you the number one answer on the board would not be a 26-20 overtime victory with a dagger Kirk Cousins throw it's so fun so amazing so the opposite of what so many people nationally and even some people locally thought what an all-time victory
1: yeah, absolutely. He was the better quarterback on the day of the two guys. And looking at Drew Brees, many assumed it would have been him. But what really struck me about Kirk. Obviously, those two throws were amazing. The game-winning drive against a over-12 win team, which he's never done before to win a game on the road. But he was 8-for-12 on third downs. Eight first downs on third downs when a big play was needed out of him, which was not much because we ran the ball a ton. He made some big plays. Most of them going towards Adam Thielen. One big one to Stefan Diggs as well. So. Something told me no matter what I opened with, that Chris Positive. was,
0: was going to open with Kirk. So I knew to lead it there. I could have been like, and what about that fumble by Daniil Hunter? And Chris had gone, and Kirk. But now let me, let me t- say. What is the topic? What is
1: everyone talking about, right? Le- now?
0: Well, let me double down on it. Let me go even further and harder on it. Because everybody's talking about the throw to Thielen and the touchdown throw to Rudolph. And you hit it kind of. With third downs, this wasn't just a couple throws in a moment to me. There were five, maybe six throws in this game that were the sort of throws in big moments that people say Kirk doesn't make, and I'll walk them back for you. Let's talk about we have the ball after the Daniil Hunter snap, or excuse me, fumble. It's third and nine. A first down makes you feel like you're probably a first down away from winning the game, despite it not going that way for us. He finds Adam Thielen near the sideline on a third and nine pass that you go, oh, all the pressure in the world was on that play, and you found him there.
1: That was one of the best plays of the game. I rewatched the game last night and and seeing what the time was at that point, that's where all the momentum was with. The Saints, Daniil Hunter took it away, and they had a chance to get right back there if we just give the, the ball right up. And Kirk did not let that happen. Well, that awesome. and,
0: and still, you needed the next first down. So it all ended up not mattering. But I'm yep. saying in the moment when that throw mattered, he made an incredible throw. And let, let's talk about another big moment. It's 13 10. This game was teetering on, like, who knows which way this will go. And at 13 10 on that drive in the second half, that deep pass to Thielen yes. was incredible. And then the third down pass, two digs near the goal line yes. in traffic, I mean that was, because mo- that was a long third down, that was monumental and let's let's icing it with everything was great in overtime, but this you have the best running back in all of football, you have third and one in an overtime playoff game and they trusted their quarterback to throw kind of a scary slant route, like on that slant route he threw to digs to get that first down, if that throw is not perfect we have a serious problem
2: and he with all the pressure in the world drilled it and those are the things we've seen him do recently where we're watching him throw darts on those kind of passes they're not behind people they're not two inches away they're right where they need to be on every single throw it's been great
1: the common thread is when the vikings get the running game going which did not happen against the green bay packers they're able to have kirk on the move in play action Screen passes, plays across the field like that slant. On that play to Stephon Diggs, he actually could have ran, it looked like, for the first yeah, down. Yeah, that's why everybody was freaking and out. people exactly. were freaking Oh, he threw it! And he threw it into that crowd, and somehow Stephon makes a big play. So I just think that establishing Dalvin Cook in the running game makes Kirk Cousins just a great quarterback when he's able to move, because when he's stuck in the pocket... That's when you get scared well, as, as, as that kind of quarterback. And here's where
0: I maybe think a little differently than you, and I'm I think i I'm sure somebody would tell me I'm incorrect, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with establishing the run. I know there's an aspect to that, but to me it's the threat. Football is a game of you have to try to stop things. The more things you have to prepare for, the more things we're good at, the more you have to think about, the more you have to prepare for. So just the literal— Like Taysom Hill? The little, yeah, well, absolutely. I know you're laughing, but absolutely. I'm being 100% serious. Literally, the moment Dalvin Cook, it wasn't that we couldn't establish the run against the Green Bay Packers, it's that they they weren't worried about our running. So when Dalvin Cook walks up, you could still see in that Saints game, and I'm not an all 22 guy, but it was pretty obvious at some point in the week they said, hey, we're just not going to give up the play action. So for them to consistently run, take what was given for them offensively, and then take the big moments in the big moments, I-, I thought that was enormous.
1: Yeah, the other thing I think was that was enormous was the Vikings, talk about establishing the run, they ran for over 100 yards in the first half. Yep. So they did that in the first half. In the second half, the New Orleans Saints came at the run and they said, you're not doing this anymore. And they, they pretty much shut down for most of that second half, other than that touchdown by Dalvin, most of the yards gained by the Vikings were through the air. In the second half, and definitely in overtime, and in the fourth quarter. So Kirk, that's where he stepped up, and that's where we need him to step up when he's making this kind of money and being that kind of quarterback. So, and it happened in this game. I got a nice text from you, Sai. got it made me a little happy inside. Yeah, with all the well, stuff. <laughs> I,
0: I said it. What have I? Fuzzies. What have I said? Warm all, fuzzies. Is what have right. I said on this podcast and anywhere else anyone will let me talk all season long? I've said. I don't want Kirk to just win games. I want him to see one go through the net. I wanted him to have the ball with the game on the line against a good team and I wanted him to win it. I know when he when we lose those moments everybody goes, it's not him, and I agree with that. But I wanted him to come through and see it. And my hope now is that he has seen it and all this BS that surrounds him, the national narrative, all this nonsense. I, I said this a PA on his radio show yesterday. I, I said I, it reminds me of Phil Mickelson. I was, I've was i been a golf fan for a really long time and most people just think of Phil Mickelson right now as one of the greatest golfers of all time. But they don't remember. There was a... He had a stigma. We felt It felt like a 10 year stretch where his entire thing was this guy's never going to get over the hill. He'd get close. He'd blow it. And then he finally had it happen. And then it kept happening. And now no one even
2: considers it when they talk about Phil Mickelson. The one thing I remember watching in those games was there were two questions on every single Sunday was, how is Tiger going to seize it and how is Mickelson going to lose it? And once he got that first win, like you said, it just seemed to change his career moving forward.
0: And, that's, and, and I think that only works when you have the tools to be that sort of person. And that's what I think everybody has always said about Kirk. I think, you know, and everyone here has believed in him regardless of the narrative. But the tools exist. So to see him ha- to, to, to present those tools in a moment that everybody's like, he can't do it, was, was really, really fun and, and, and really, really satisfying. It was, and let me double down on it. It was, and I know you'll never hear the quarterback say this. I know you'll never hear the head coach say this. But what a, as if you're somebody who likes the quarterback and likes the head coach and loves the organization, like what a satisfying victory this was. Because the, the same b s. narrative has been out there about Zimmer, like, oh, and when, how does he come to play in big games? and like, how does he put together things when they matter? And and we all know that's complete nonsense. But let's talk about a team that was averaging forty points a game over the last five, one of the best offensive teams in the league, a, a team a, and a defense that was missing key players. And he went in with that switching. The defensive ends to to tackles at points throughout that game, the defensive strategy that he implored to stop Michael Thomas and to pressure Drew Brees was, it wasn't just good. It was all-time. That was an all-time... Coaching performance,
1: and what he saw was that Drew Brees loves to step up in the pocket, and that's why he decided to take Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin and put them on the inside rather than rushing from both of the ends, respectively, that they rush from. Everson Griffin was the heart and soul of the defense from the beginning of the day till the end. I, the way he rushed the quarterback and some of the tackles he made. It seemed like everyone was just feeding off of his energy. Well, I, not, I don't know why it felt like that to me, but I well, it's, from it's the be- beginning of the game, I'm like, oh, Everson's on his game today. Well,
0: it was because he made big plays the early in move? the game. He made big plays early in the game. But let me, I'm going to continue down this like, how do you like me now? Trend uh, that I'm that I've decided to spin because let me talk about a couple other guys, guys that people, you know, uh, Anthony Barr, who I, I have said forever. Anybody who, if you know football, which I don't, but if you talk to People who know football, they understand what Anthony Barr does for this defense. They understand that you don't have to just because you're not flying sideline to sideline on every single play to take down a running back doesn't mean that you don't play the key role in this defense. And he was so good on Sunday. And let me give you two plays that I don't think anyone noticed that you Every Viking fan should be carrying uh, Anthony Barr around on their shoulders for twice in this game. Because here's what Michael Thomas does: he doesn't get behind you, he doesn't he doesn't speedster down the field. He's one of the top in the league at yes. yards after the catch, and yep. he is a monster beast at that. So what they try to do is they try to put him in mismatch situations, get him to beat a guy after catching it, and now he's trouble. They were having a tough time getting him open, so they ran a couple of short outs to the sideline that singled him up on Anthony Barr. Now, most linebackers in this league, maybe they make the tackle on one or two of those plays. Most likely, they slow him down on one of the two and the other one he gets today. Anthony Barr was so on top of those routes. Thomas caught him, and Thomas was on the ground immediately. And, and, And what that did to me is they went... Well, that's not really a great option for us, is it? And and it took away that part of their game. They took away Michael Thomas in so many ways, but Anthony Barr, incredible. And I know there was that miscommunication, but let's all clap a little while for Xavier Rhodes. You have what to. Did, what did we say? We need a little bit of that throwback, and he went in there. What did, what did uh, Thomas finish with? 70 yards? That ain't nothing. Especially for him. That ain't nothing.
1: Yeah, Xavier Rhodes was incredible. I thought he played outstanding. There was the one miscommunication, which I don't even think was totally entirely his fault. Um, but the other play with Anthony Barr that I want to touch on involved Nick Easton, former Viking, and it was a play in the backfield where he literally just did a little like back and forth move on the guard as a outside linebacker, and he tackled Alvin Kamara open field tackle in the backfield, I think they lost about four or five yards on the play. The way that Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr tackled Kamara in the backfield, there was even one where Kendricks missed Kamara, but he had him stuffed up and Julio Johnson finished the tackle. It was the pressure that those two provide on the second part of this defense, not the defensive line, but them being able to get through and make those tackles in the backfield. There aren't many linebackers who are able to do that the way that they are.
0: And remember everybody was talking about stopping Michael Thomas and I was talking about Kamara. stopping Alvin yeah. Kamara. And the way they took him out of the game and made him a non option, I-, I think it handcuffed the team a great. It surprised great deal. a lot
1: of people. <laughs> like yeah. it surprised me, honestly. I, yeah. the way they stopped Not the him, big daddy. <laughs> the way they stopped Alvin Kamara, I think that's what made the, the statement, another play I want to touch on is Andrew what, why, don't, why don't we Sandejo. just let him go
0: cool. play by play? Can we
1: touch on Sandejo, please? I
0: wanted to bring him up. Sure, here. let's go ahead.
1: Oh, we'll let Jay, what Are we you going to talk say, about Jay? his hair?
2: <laughs> just the fact that they told, him, shady. they told him on Friday he was playing nickel for the game. Yep. And he stepped in and did a yeoman's work. I mean, the secondary itself in general between he, Harrison, and Anthony Harris making plays again, mm-hmm. Anthony Harris being the top guy in the league with seven interceptions, But Sandejo moving in like that after being sick and never having played nickel in his career and being told Friday before a playoff game, by the way, this is you okay, I guess it's time to step up and make some plays, and he did. He didn't practice Wednesday and Thursday.
1: He well, just practiced on Friday. Exactly. Let's throw that in there. Well, and
2: let's also talk about then beyond that.
0: And, like, I, I don't – you know me. I normally like to argue with you guys. I'm not going to sit in here and, and give everything rose-colored glasses and praise the everyone that exists all the time. Let's talk about how astute of a signing that was. And to understand when he got let go from the Eagles, to understand that there was an opportunity, like, we stick this guy here – play a little special teams, but he knows our system. Because I can tell you what, the reason he was able to do that is he understood what was happening on defense. He knows the system. He knows the coach. He knows what to do. He underst- Even though he's a safety, he knows what that nickel corner's responsibilities have been. So, I, I yeah, I I think a huge praise for him doing the job he did. Uh, you have to, in retrospect, give huge praise for the signing because if he's not there this weekend...
2: What happens? We got depth issues at that position and, and yeah, if he wasn't there, you're right. You know, that's why we signed Marcus Sherrills, brought him back in for special teams too. We need depths and we got guys who know the system that were available and the fact that they were were huge this weekend.
0: Well then let's do let's uh, let's do two other guys that I want to focus on before I wanna talk about one Saints thing and, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Adam Thielen obviously had a huge game. We all know that, but I just wanna point out in today's era of sports. It's not uncommon to see guys struggle early, whatever sport it is, whatever sport you like, to see guys struggle early and then fall apart. To have Adam come out, fumble, get a crucial holding call, which we can debate whether or not that was a holding, but he got the call, and then drop a big pass. For that to be the way his game starts, and for him to finish the way he finished, unbelievable.
1: It really was amazing. I was like, I couldn't believe how uncharacteristic what was going on with Adam Thielen from the fumble, then the holding penalty. That holding penalty was just so, like, first of all, the call was questionable, but the way it happened, I was just, I couldn't believe it. And then he comes out and, what is it, 129 uh, receiving yards, two of the biggest catches on a third down, and obviously the overtime grab, I mean, He's just a competitor, man, and I and he's one of my one of the all time favorites on this team.
2: We've seen people get benched for having an intro quarter like he did mm-hmm. on other teams, and even on this team at times. It's just like, you know, your head's not in the right spot today. We're, we're not taking the gamble. Yeah, for them to have the trust in him to say like this is an anomaly, not a not a trend. Yeah, for them to to have the the faith in him and to put him back out there pay dividends for the rest of the game.
0: Absolutely. And then the last one, and, and there isn't much to analyze here, but I just, I feel good for Kyle Rudolph. I feel good for a guy that was asked to do things differently this year, did do it, had what most people are saying, whether it's the exact numbers of a career year, had at this point a career year for him, to cap it off by making one, I mean, I, I don't want to be dramatic, best one of the biggest catches in Vikings history to win a to win a road playoff game against one of the best teams in the NFL in a situation where no one thought you would and against a team that you have this history with like, is it the biggest catch? No, we know which one that is. And there have been a lot of moments throughout this franchise's history. But a guy who's been with the team forever, you gotta feel good for a dude making one of the biggest catches in team history on such a big stage.
1: Yeah, and it was a, it was a ball that was meant for him to catch, and that's kind of what Kirk said. Because, I mean. He the size advantage that he has on some of these matchups that happen. Yeah, that was just a perfect play for him, and I and you could even say that throw was maybe a little risky if you're throwing it to. Oh, uh, I you, mean, when it went up here. in the air, my heart started cue, pounding out of my chest. Cue me, cue right? me
0: in watching the game with my with my nephew and my friends going, "Don't throw a fade, don't throw a fade, don't throw a fade." Because I have this fade. <laughs> I have this rule, and it, and it, like, and I know I'm wrong about this, but I just, I always have said offensive coordinators should just have a card in their pocket and they pull it out and on one side of the card it says should I run the fade and then you flip the card over and it says do I have Randy Moss (laughs) and and, because he's the only guy like and I know that's wrong it was a great call because Rudolph has the advantage and there are guys the Julio Jones the Michael Thomas's. I mean Thielen's pretty good there are guys who are great at the fade so I know that is a stupid take of mine but I I don't know why as a fan I don't like it I never feel good seeing a fade but it was what a great what a great throw and what a great play
2: so right before that play happened a bunch of us were here getting ready for the post game show and we're watching the game they get stuffed at third and four and the one guy blurts it out as i'm about to say it is rudolph in the corner Mm -hmm. and the reason why and i had to turn to him i'm like exactly and then when they go to line up and rudolph is by himself and all of a sudden the saint's Kind of showed their cards a little too early and everybody came down to the line and he's one on one right before Troy circled it. I pointed at the screen and I said, This is Dallas. This is a Dallas all over again. It's the exact same thing. One on one in the outside corner. Kyle's six six, the other guy's six foot. Yeah. He's got six inches on him with those giant arms. Like, get it as close as you can. When he threw it and he stuck it, the first thing I'm watching for is feet. I'm like, is he in bounds? Because it was back to the corner just far enough. Mm-hmm. But when he threw it up there to the to the height and you saw those big white mitts going up there to grab the thing, you're like, he's got it. It's over. Very, very, very rarely do you see him drop those kind of passes But, yeah, the interesting thing about Kyle, I remember this throughout his career. I've seen, he's made catches that I've never seen anyone else
0: ever make. And then every once in a while, a simple slant round doinks off his chest. You're like, what happened? (laughs) And then he just makes the toughest catches in the biggest moments of all time.
2: Yeah. And it's, they had Charlie Weiss talking about him for the man of the year video. And he's just talking about, this guy's a basketball player, not a football player. That's what they thought when he was coming out of school. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, jump ball, go get it. You're six foot six. You can sky this guy. Go get it with two hands and bring it in.
0: The uh, it was interesting. It was also, it was almost the Taysom Hill game. That's what we were saying watching. We were like, Oh, this is like this is gonna forever be remembered by us as fans as the Taysom Hill game, as he kept going up up the field and up the field and up the field. Who would have thought going into this game you'd have been like, Yeah, Drew Brees had a fumble and a pick and that was kind of the difference and Taysom Hill almost won the game. That's crazy to me.
2: Brought it up last week. You know, that was kind of me raising my hand with Taysom going like this guy just seems to find ways to make plays. And he had a fifty fifty twenty-five game. He's First throwing,
0: ever in the history of the postseason. And it's right? crazy,
2: it was fifty-fifty, twenty-five game. But the thing that was is most impressive with him is when you saw him get to like the sideline when he was catching a sideline pass, and you think he's gonna step out, uh uh-uh. uh. He's running through three or four guys yeah. and picking him up another ten to twenty yards on each one of those plays. That's why he's so infuriating. And kudos to him for having the kind of game that he did the crazy part to me was why when they were in clutch did they not go back to him?
1: It's insane. I mean, here's what,
0: and a lot of people said that. Let me tell you why. Drew Brees. Like, I I don't care. I don't care, and even if I'm a Saints fan, I think this, I'd be frustrated. I don't care if Taysom Hill had 250, 250, and 75 yards. You have one of the five to ten greatest quarterbacks in the history. Everybody got on the Saints, like, why wouldn't they call a timeout before the two-minute warning? Well, because they don't think like that. They don't think that we need all the time possible. They think, Drew's got us. How much time are we going to leave them? Like That's what they were thinking. So I I, I think we are all a little surprised they didn't go back to him. But at the same time, when you have a quarterback of that age who's won a Super Bowl and meant what he's meant to that team, ain't taking the ball out of his hands.
2: But that's the thing for me, for Taysom. I'm not saying put him in as quarterback, which he did make some plays. I'm saying, Throw him the ball and get him in space. Like Try to let him run over some more guys just to get chunks of yards to get closer.
0: Well, and and my argument to that would be, and I think Viking fans saw this, when the game is on the line and you have like, if we don't get a first down on this possession, the game is over. Or if we get a first down on this possession, the game is over rarely do you see plays that start out backwards. You don't see a lot of wide receiver screens, reverses, running back screens. That's, I think – and I'll, I'll ask you this, Chris, as a guy who was in the locker – or is in the locker room, is paying attention to all these things. Let me voice something that I heard from the fans a lot and something that I, my, I have an answer to. I just don't know if it's been right. We kept going to a left outside pitch. Right? Yes. Which yes. we did on the, at
1: the end of the game there. Yep. On the goal
0: line, yep. and we did it on the Delvin almost fumble. Yep. And, and and my answer to that has always been, like, we sit here and we don't know what the defense is giving. We, we all know the Vikings run better to the right. You know, it's a little harder to the left, but that's it's a part of this cat and mouse game. But I I saw that question asked a lot. The only one that that made me nervous was the one where we thought Delvin fumbled. Yes. and it's that same thing where it's like. But it, and what I've said to everybody who's asked me or tweeted me or messaged me, I said you got to remember if they pitch it to Delvin on the on that one he fumbles, if they pitch it and he takes it for nine yards and you're second and one to win a playoff game, we are building Stefansky a statue right now. You you play the game and you you give you you look at the matchups you look at the situations and you try to think you have one up mentally on them and I assume that's it but that that was the question the only worry or negative question I got hit with by fans was that one
1: yeah Stefanski always talks about being multiple I think that's kind of what he's not just trying to run the ball the same halfback stretch play that they ran which actually saw a lot of success at the beginning of this game but I think he was trying to shake it up a little bit and you, you just believe that Dalvin Cook has that speed to burst through the edge and get because that's all usually what he's able to do well, and, and if, clearly that didn't
0: happen. And, and by the way he did get it early in the game that he was did. part of it he got it a couple times early in the game and I wonder if that was one of those things where the Saints thought oh we know how what you're good at we don't, know, we don't think you're going to stretch it out to the left and I mean if I, if I'm not mistaken it was a couple of like first and 10 first down style runs from yes. him early in the game. So maybe
1: you're thinking you catch him again, but I'll tell here's those the... linebackers though. The Saints linebackers they're good, but DeMario Davis, He's I mean some of the good. plays he had, I was I was amazed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so and also here's what I'll say, if if a playoff game finished and that was our worry, oh, best ever. Yeah. <laughs> now we have to move on. I will say this. Everybody's talking about moving on. I want everybody to move on. Me as a fan, I'm going to sit in it for a minute because it was amazing. Yeah. It was really amazing. I'll let people who need to play, you guys move on. I'm going to be over here like,
2: yes. Sit into it till kickoff.
0: Yes. Yep. Now... Very tough challenge afterwards. In my opinion, and people can argue with me, I think the 49ers are the best team in football. I think when they've lost this season, specifically when they lost to the Seahawks the first time and when they... um, Baltimore. Baltimore. They weren't at full health. They've only been at full... I mean, when they lost to the Saints in that shootout, they were down like five guys. And Kyle Shanahan is such an incredible coach. This, I've watched him all season. He is so good, and it's interesting to me because you kind of look at these teams, and I think generally you go, oh, these are just two really good football teams. You beat a really good football team, now you got to go beat a really good football team. They're very different because, I, and I heard PA say this on the radio last week, and it's something that I also thought to be true, the Saints don't try to surprise you. They're like, they line up and you go, hey, they're going to run it. Hey, I mean they, they have the Taysom Hill factor. Unless they're using Taysom Hill, yeah. But, but 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 even then, you know, like the, you generally know what they're going to do and they go, "We have Drew Brees, we have Michael Thomas, we have Alvin Kamara. You cannot stop us. We have a great offensive line. You cannot stop us." The 49ers are very different. And I, I've probably harped on this on this podcast before, but they go, hey, uh, you know how we have 11 offensive guards out here? We're going to go deep to Kittle. Like, that's that. They do stuff so, I don't want to say tricky. But they want to keep you off balance. Kyle Shanahan's playing chess. He's running stuff in the first quarter to set up the fourth quarter. He's going to get you guys up to the line of scrimmage, and he's going to motion. And then he's going to motion again. And he's going to motion, 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 until he has the exact matchup in the exact location he wants, and then he's going to exploit. So this, another very difficult challenge. I think it's a a, a unique challenge compared to the last one.
2: One thing that's interesting to me is when you look at the matchups as far as what we do well and what they do well in general, offense there's a little bit of a mirror yes where you're looking at it going you have a quarterback who can make some big end throws when they need to you've got explosive guys on the outside and it's kind of a running back by committee but it's because you have lots of talent at that position that you just keep going wave after wave after wave and it just reminds me of our offense Against their offense in a very similar fashion.
0: Well, and it—that's a pretty there's a pretty obvious reason for that. It's because Shanahan and Kirk are boys. They were together oh, yeah. in Washington. They he, Shanahan wanted Kirk out in San Francisco. So obviously there's a there's a pairing to those two guys. So I, I heard you know I was talking to one of my friends who's a huge Forty Nine er fan, and he said everybody's talking about how Shanahan knows Kirk. He knows what he can and can't do, and that'll help them. He goes, yeah, but. Kirk knows Shanahan exactly, and and, and there, there's two sides to that coin. So I, I think you're exactly right. I think there's a lot of similarities. I think I think with got with with guys like Uscheck and Kittle and uh, the little speedster Debo Debo, you just they just get these guys the ball in really unique unexpected ways, and that's a very difficult thing for any defense to deal with.
1: Well, that's why I think the common threat in some of these losses that we've seen for the 49ers this year. The Seahawks and the Ravens, they both ran for like over 140 yards on the days that they beat them. They kept the ball. They kept the time of possession. They kept. both had mobile quarterbacks who also ran for – over 50 yards in the game is what I saw. So, um, and, the, and the 49, or, and, and, and we think, don't have that. I
0: think the Falcons. Yeah, we do not. I think the Falcons. They
1: didn't run for a lot of rushing yards. The time they beat them, they just had a weird. The, these Falcons, man. We, we I can't even explain why the Falcons beat no, New Orleans here's a, and can, why they beat San Francisco and we crushed them. Earlier I, I, well, I, I can explain it 100. And do, I, this, please,
0: this is something I was very wrong about. But I thought the Falcons were a playoff team. Walking into the year, because Dan Quinn fired his entire staff in the offseason basically to keep his job. And so he retook over the defense. And I honestly think there was just growing pains. I think that first half of the season was just growing pains. And they became who they were late in the season. But that's good news. Because you know who's very similar to the Atlanta Falcons? Defensively especially. Defensively? us guys. Yep. And the fact that the Falcons went in and succeeded against the Saints, I think boded well for what we were going to do. And I think the fact that they went in and I, I, I don't think it was a fluke that Atlanta was beating these teams at the end of the year. It wasn't like, well, this crazy bad team is winning. I, I'll also say, yes, you want to get the ball or you want you want to get the ball on your side. You want to keep time of possession. I, I think the other side of that is I, I think like most Viking fans, when we elected to receive to start the game, I think I was like, oh, I don't know. And then the fumble, you were like, oh, no. And I understand what they were doing. They know that if they get up early, it changes, it changes the way the other team can do some things, especially in a matchup like this. And I wouldn't be surprised if, given the option, they do that again. Because let's talk about this, this San Francisco team. They want, to, they want the freedom to do weird stuff and keep you guessing. And also, they want the freedom to get after the quarterback. They want to come up the field. So if San Francisco goes down and takes a 7 nothing lead, or they get a 10 nothing lead and they go, Hey guys, here's the deal. The only way they're going to get back into this is if they get down the field a bit here. Don't let them. Like That's, that's going to be a pretty tall order. So it wouldn't shock me Uh, To see them try to take the ball and score to start a game again, if given the option.
2: To me, us saying we wanted the ball instead of deferring at the beginning of the Saints game was a signal to the guys by the coaching staff, like, we're not waiting for anything this week. We're going for it. And you have to have that exact same mentality in San Francisco. Because if you put them in a hole... And you make them one-dimensional where it's harder for them to get going in their running game, then that's when you can try and tee off on Jimmy G and see what he's got. Because, yeah, he was at the Patriots, and he's got a couple rings as a backup. He hasn't been in live bullets in a playoff game. And to me, all the pressure is on them. They're the one seed at home taking on a squad that just took out the Saints, and they had to put up 48 points to win that game. And now,
0: well, look at look at all the look at all the articles you see that like the biggest hurdle. I we I saw one that was the biggest hurdle to a to a Niners Super Bowl has been eliminated by the Vikings. You're like, well, I don't know if I would write that. I would I, just, I would just maybe wait a second. Just keep writing it. That's fine. Yeah,
2: I I, I want to see us go out again with the killer instinct because if you're going to take a team like that and wait for them to see if you can try to beat them they're going to eat you alive. Yep. You have to punch them in the mouth. And you've got a lot of guys on that Niners squad who've never touched a playoff game.
0: You know what else the Niners struggle with, by the way? The Niners might struggle with, uh, with running backs in their losses, but they don't do great with wide receiver number one. They have given up a lot of yards this year to wide receiver one. And you know who's real dangerous as wide receiver one? Old Steffi Diggs. A a guy who uh, you look at, it's very clear what everyone else in the NFL thinks about him when they try to double him and eliminate him from every single game. So uh, they they better come ready for him because if you let Diggs, uh, with this team, when Diggs gets off, Very rarely is it anything other than a Vikings uh, big day.
2: And I heard Burke talking with PA and they were saying part of their success we had against the Saints was because, you know, Delvin in the first half was going off in the second half. They said, okay, we have to stop Delvin. So like we were talking before, they came up on the linebackers. He said if San Francisco's now seen that on tape and if we start running Delvin early, San Francisco's linebackers are going to have to do the exact same thing to try to, you know, stuff those running lanes if they do. You've got giant pockets right behind that for our guys, including Diggs and Rudy, to get into some of those slant routes and eat up yards for them. And as soon as that happens, that's the pick your poison. Are you going to stop Delvin or are you going to stop the dink and dunk across the field? Because you're going to have to stop one of them. And if you can't stop either of them, you're toast.
0: And let's talk about putting on tape, Chris. The flip-flop of the defensive line. The 49ers' middle of their offensive line is a bit suspect, and now you have to worry that that's what Zimmer's going to do. And here's uh, here's another thing: Do you think that's the only? Uh, you, you think that's the the end of the plan? Absolutely not. There's no. There's a. There's a. Let's put this on tape. Yep. Let's win with it, and then when it's on tape, let's do this.
1: Yeah. The biggest thing for the Vikings in this game is going to be stopping the, the run. Uh, as a defense, they have to stop the run because this is the best rushing team in the NFL. I mean, there are stats. There might be some other thing, but what they do on the in the ground game is. It's the best in the NFL. They have guys that were no-names, like Mostert, who was on 17 practice squads and is a superstar this year. And that's because of what, what they do schematically. So if Zimmer... It's going to be really fun to watch the chess match of the offensive coach against the defensive head coach. I think it's just going to be... I mean, if you like football and you like X's and O's, this is going to be a game that you're just enamored by. It's going
2: to be so much fun to watch. And for them, they did that against Baltimore. Baltimore is the third best rushing defense in the league. They did that against Baltimore, and the way that they did it was they wanted to get to the outside corners. So when they got to the outside corners, their feeling was, if we can get past the initial line and get these guys in space one-on-one against uh, either some of the linebackers or even secondary, they're going to win. So that just means for us – Kendrickson Barr being able to scrape down the line and to shut down some of those outside running lanes is going to be critical.
0: A couple Viking programming notes. Under center with Kirk Cousins. He reviews, I heard it on KFAN last night, he reviews the Norland game. He previews the San Francisco game. Obviously, the MVP podcast is always out on Wednesdays when we can get it out on Wednesdays. Skull Stories has Carl Lee. It'll be on Thursday. Final prep Friday night at 6.30 on KFAN. You can download all of this on, uh, on iTunes, uh, iHeartMedia, any of your podcast app. Uh, playoff postgame show on Vikings.com and Vikings social media account will once again have Robert Smith this week. And hey, set your smart speaker flash briefings so you can be caught up on all the latest Vikings news. You'll hear updates throughout the week as they happen. Uh, we're going to get you guys out of here as we get you guys out of here. Let's... Uh, Let's have your uh, one big thing that you'd like to see accomplished this weekend that could lead us in the right direction.
1: I'm going to build on what I just said a a few seconds or minutes ago. I need to see this Vikings defense stop the run, stop all these gadget plays that that Shanahan has. I want to see it get stopped, and I want to see it be established early the way we established it against the Saints.
2: For me, it's get Dalvin going. You got to get him going, and whether, as soon as they stuff him on the line, then you got to hit him into this swing game. Just get that guy into space and let him make some plays.
0: Now, I th- mine is I th- and I thought this last week, and it, it turned out to be wrong, and I, I'm going to think it again. You, you, we are underdogs, and there is a reason we're underdogs. I think we, I think we're going to come into this game. I think we have a great shot at doing some things really, really well. I also understand why we're underdogs. They're the number one team. They're one of the best teams in the entire NFL. I think in that situation, they've had two weeks off, you're playing on a short week, you're outside, you're in their home, you're on grass, blah, 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 blah. The first couple of possessions are so crucial because when you're that team that's the favorite, when you're that team that's the home team and all those things, you have a little bit more of a margin of error. What I thought happened in that, in that Saints game, although it happened differently than I, I hoped it would, or, you know, like if you'd have asked me before the game, is early in the game we were able to create our type of football game. Now, I think that can change from week to week. I'm, I, I'm not the guy that's smart enough to tell you exactly what sort of game it needs to be this week for us, but that's what I want to see. I would love whether we take the ball or kick the ball. I'd love to see stop points or points stop. That is what I'm looking for. If you do that and you can – because if you're the 49ers – my hope is that they say, let's take away the play action. Because then, like you said, let's turn this into a Delvin Cook game. Let's turn this into a defensive game. Let's, let's make this, like I said all season, I, I would like to see our offense uh, you know, blast a little bit more. I don't know that this is the time for that. If you give me a seven, side note, before the game started on Sunday, I was watching, like I said, with my brother and my, fr- or excuse me, my nephew and my friends. And I looked at him and I go, I just, I was so nervous. I was like, I just want it to be a good game. You know, I just don't want to get, I wanted to, I want to enjoy it and I want it to be a competitive game. And when it got to the fourth quarter, I was like, I lied.
2: Oh, I feel terrible right now. I want, I, I need to win. And, I was and, I was fine until one fifty five left in the game, and the balls getting in Bree's hands. and I, that was when I was starting to go, no. yeah, and that so
0: that's I, I think that again, I, I think if you if we're in a position to compete at the end of this game, let's compete. That, that that's that's playing a number one seed is the number six seed in the second round. If you're in a position to compete at the end of the game, you really did some things right. And let's go do what we did on Sunday again. So that'll do it for us here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast. We will see you guys next week.